Anyone that knows me knows that food is and always has been a big part of my life. Ironically, while becoming a foodie is now a popular thing, I don't like being thought of as a foodie. Mostly because I have a very unhealthy relationship with food. But also because I'm not a connoisseur of foods. I don't find specific enjoyment in eating a wide variety of many different foods. I do, however, find immense enjoyment in eating a lot of the few foods that I totally love. With that said, I've never really spent a lot of time thinking about or salivating over the foods of Christmas. It must be included in the story because the spread at my family's Christmas Eve was always stunning. And of course, I love the foods we ate on Christmas Eve, but I think I've shied away from focusing on food when telling the story of my Christmas Eve because as someone who has been very overweight for a very very long time, I hated the idea that people would hear me talk about Christmas Eve and think to themselves, yeah, I know why this guy likes Christmas Eve. It's because it's yet another license to stuff his face. But in crafting this series, I was forced to take a deeper look at the Christmas Eve dinner, the role it plays in my memory of the night, and accept the fact that, for many people, the arrival of the baked clams or the galamat is almost as important as the arrival of Santa Claus. You Can't Cancel Christmas, a limited series from Long Island's holiday music station, Walk 97.5. While I've never really focused on the foods of Christmas Eve in the way I've told the story in the past, I've really enjoyed thinking about it. I grew up in an Italian household, so we had what I thought was a traditional Italian Christmas Eve dinner. Although, for the first 20 years of my life, I probably couldn't have told you exactly what that meant. There's a good chance that I still can't. I knew that the Christmas Eve dinner was very seafood-centric. I remember there being lobsters involved and always lots of pasta, too. But because my mother was Irish and didn't really eat seafood, there was always chicken parmesan. For the first 20 years of my life, I followed in my mother's footsteps and really didn't try a lot of new things. I knew there were many other things that people were eating, but I never really explored outside my comfort zone of pasta and chicken parmesan. I understand that this might sound like a travesty to many people out there, but the truth is, it honestly wasn't really ever about the food of Christmas Eve for me. There were so many other elements that made me love Christmas Eve. The fact that we got to eat a great, home-cooked, delicious meal filled with many of my favorites was just gravy. 
Not that there was any gravy there. That's just a figure of speech. There are two memories that I would like to share because they relate to food and also directly relate to Christmas Eve. The first is a vivid incident from when I must have been about six or seven years old. As I said, I lived in the same house with my Italian grandparents on my father's side, which is also the same house where our Christmas Eve celebrations would happen. Those two elements played an enormous role in my love of Christmas Eve and the effect it's had on my life. One of the many benefits of living in the house with my grandparents was that they were always available as babysitters if I or my brother ever got sick. So one December day that I had gotten sick or pretended to be sick so I didn't have to go to school, I was being looked after by my grandmother, and she had fixed me a little lunch. They had just returned from the market, so there was a mix of activity happening. They were packing away groceries and settling in after being out for a while, and of course, she was making my lunch. I could still remember sitting at the kitchen table, enjoying my peanut butter and jelly sandwich or tuna fish sandwich or whatever it was that she made for me, and... I was watching as she carried a large brown bag over to the sink. The sink was about five feet away from where I was sitting, and she placed the bag on the counter next to the sink, and then grabbed a knife that must have been the biggest knife we had in the kitchen. I wasn't really paying attention. I probably didn't even see her grab the knife, but I knew she did by what happened next. She tipped the bag over into the sink and it sounded like she had dumped out a bunch of loose ice. It made a cracking sound and a crackling sound, like lots of those little hard pieces of ice hitting the surface of the sink. There was also some swooshing and sliding around and slushing around sounds as well. I do remember all of the sounds distinctly. The sounds were very strange. And then... I saw my grandma, my sweet little old grandma, start bringing the knife down in a stabbing motion repeatedly and repeatedly, over and over again, banging on what sounded like the sink which each, with each stroke. But there was a pattern, a grim pattern to the beats of the knife, and I had no idea what she could have been doing. To me, it looked like she was trying to dull the end of the knife by whacking it against the sink over and over again. But to my surprise, that wasn't it. The bag had been filled with crabs, live crabs, and she was preparing them for crab sauce on Christmas Eve by killing them. I was terrified by this. For some strange reason, I was mortified. And I like to joke in saying that it seems so out of character for my grandmother, but the reality is my fear was really about the crabs. I've never liked things like that. I've never liked bugs or anything with long, pinchy arms and lots of legs. It just freaked me out, seeing them all in the sink, trying to crawl out, trying to escape, and my grandmother sending them down to Davy Jones' locker. 
My grandmother loved it when I told that story to everyone at Christmas Eve. She seemed to really enjoy being the provider of the meal for everyone. And I think it made her happy to hear everyone else hearing about all the things that go into the preparation of this massive feast. The other memory that I wanted to share is certainly a key element in my Christmas Eve celebrations. In fact, it's how every story about Christmas Eve usually starts. If you're lucky enough to be in the house that hosts the event, then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. The buildup is great, don't get me wrong. The fact that this day of days dominates an entire month or more with music and movies and decorations, it's just wonderful. But the true start to Christmas Eve and the true start to the Christmas Eve story, my Christmas Eve story, begins before I would even open my eyes on December 24th. I have a very vivid memory of my childhood that allows me to transport myself back in time. I can conjure the feeling by zeroing in on my senses. And I'm so grateful because even today, if I close my eyes right now and I really think hard, I can smell what my house smelled like on Christmas Eve. Some years, I think I woke up but stayed in bed with my eyes closed just so I could stay in the moment a little longer. I couldn't tell you exactly what I was smelling. I could only tell you that it was perfect. It was the perfect blend of everything being prepared. Clams, lobsters, chicken, dead crabs and all. The scent was thick and it enveloped my whole body. When it wafted up from downstairs and found its way to me, it was like someone sounding an alarm. It was the kind of smell that also had a taste. It was the kind of smell that only existed once a year for a very small window of time. And I'm so grateful that I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time to experience it and remember it. And even today, so many years after that smell truly existed within my house, I know that the first thing I do whenever I wake up on Christmas Eve is close my eyes again because I want to smell that smell. And I know I can smell that smell. And I know that I could feel that feeling. And that's why you can't cancel Christmas. For me, Christmas is about three things. Uh, Relaxing at home with family, snuggling with the dogs, making them pose for pictures, wearing weird holiday outfits, and uh, perhaps most importantly, the third thing, food. 
So in my family, when the holiday season kicks in, we all start talking. It's a collaborative effort. Usually the menu gets planned in like short bursts. So early in December, we'll just be hanging out and mom will simply say something like, we're doing ham this year. And then we give her the nod. Or, you know what? Let's do roast beef. We, do, we haven't done roast beef in a couple of years, in which case I'll go to the butcher shop where I used to work and I'll get a nice prime rib roast. Then there's some decisions made about sides. And again, short bursts, very conversational. I'll just, someone will casually ask, did you want to do stuffed mushrooms this year? And sometimes we say, yeah, I'm in the mood. Eh, no, you don't have to. We don't have to worry about them this year. Uh, we have really good cheesy potatoes au gratin. That's a nice dish that would usually be on the side with the beef if we do the beef that year. Sometimes there's a midday ravioli or a manigot or something like that. We're Italian, if you couldn't tell. It's important to have that pasta dish. Holds everybody over in the middle of the day while all the cooking is going on. So, yeah, we create the menu in advance, piece by piece. Everyone knows their role, and everyone gets excited. Then the other exciting thing is the final days uh, leading up to Christmas. The, the look of the refrigerator changes. If you know what I'm talking about. You open up the fridge, and it's packed out, and it's dimly lit because there's so much food in there that it's blocking the interior lights of the fridge. That's how you know it's holiday season, when the big grocery order has been stocked up and all the stuff is in there. To get specific with you about Christmas Eve, we're Italian, we don't do the Feast of the Seven Fishes, but you're bound to see three or four of them. King crab legs we do some years, uh, baked clams just about every year. Some years we'll make linguine and white clam sauce, like around lunchtime. And then most importantly, and this to me is the food that defines the holiday season. And it's a little bit weird, but for me, it's the fried shrimp, uh, like a shrimp platter that has just become a tradition in my family. We take a ton of shrimp. I don't even know, a couple pounds. Half of it gets breaded with breadcrumbs and fried, and half of it's served cold like shrimp cocktail with the cocktail sauce and the smell of the fresh lemons being cut that you're going to squeeze all over that shrimp. For me, and I know my mom and my sister, that's like our favorite part of Christmas. And you eat it Christmas Eve, and then, you know, there's plenty left over for the next couple of days. Fried shrimp are unbelievable when they're fresh fried and they're still warm, but I love them even more colder later. You know, that night you go in the fridge, take a couple out, hit them with a little cocktail sauce, a little lemon juice, a little salt, and it's just a really delicious thing for me. Christmas Day, we'll have stuffed artichokes. That's uh, a famous starter, uh, first course for our family. Mom makes them better than anyone in the world. Before mom, grandma made them better than anyone in the world. I don't know how they do it. It's like a mystery of science. Like, it defies gravity. When you make stuffed artichokes, you have to get the breadcrumbs stuffed in between the leaves. And my mother has a way of getting the breadcrumbs into every single leaf. You're in the middle of the artichoke now. It's almost gone. You're almost at the heart. And there's still breadcrumb stuffing in between those leaves. I don't know how she does it, but it was one of those things that I would never touch as a kid, and now as an adult, I, I love it and I look forward to it every year. My responsibility for Christmas Day is usually putting together the antipasta platter, and that takes the place of breakfast. So in our family, as far back as I can remember, we're not having a full breakfast on Christmas Day. No, 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 no. There's too much other stuff to eat. There's no way we're getting up and making eggs and pancakes and bacon and sausage. That just doesn't happen. If you do get up early, you could maybe have like a cookie or a muffin or a piece of toast with your coffee, but we're not eating a big breakfast because the antipasta platter is what it's all about. That gets put out uh, as early as 9.30, never later than noon. 
It's a wonderful dish. It's a wonderful tradition for my family because it's a little different every year. Some years we'll have some things in there like grilled zucchini or uh, giardinera, that's pickled vegetables. Some years we skip that and instead you'll do artichoke hearts. Or some years there'll be salami and prosciutto and gabagol, but no pepperoni. Uh, this year we might do it a little different. We're talking about a selection of olives, a variety of crackers instead of Italian bread. You know, eggplant cabanat, that's a savory spread with tomatoes, eggplant, capers. So the antipasta changes because there's so many different things you could include that you don't have it all in there every year. Well, the roasted peppers are always there. So yeah, I think about things like that. I think about the stuffed artichokes, the starter dishes, the antipasta platter, and the fireplace burning in the living room at our family home. Uh, even if it's 55 degrees on Christmas Day, we have to light the fireplace. Uh, dessert is not super important for us. Anything goes for dessert, uh, pastries. Uh, homemade icebox cake is really good, cheesecake. The most important thing uh, to me is that we make everything with love and we overeat a little bit because uh, Christmas is an excuse to do that. So uh, if you made me pick, I would have to say there's really nothing in the world like when the shrimp starts frying and, and you can smell it coming out of the kitchen. And I know that when that shrimp starts frying that I'm at home with my family and that's where we're going to be for the next couple of days with some good downtime. And uh, the taste of that fried shrimp, the smell of that fried shrimp in the air, it's one of the greatest feelings in the world. And that is why you can't cancel Christmas. Sometimes before dinner and sometimes after dinner, there would usually be a trip to St. Anthony of Padua Church to celebrate Mass. When I was younger, I remember usually doing the 5 o'clock Mass because the dinner and the other festivities would start just about 6.30. I can remember being on the way home wondering what members of my extended family had already arrived at the house. One year, my mother decided to take us to midnight Mass. I must have been about 11 or 12. I remember the majesty and the pageantry of Midnight Mass. I thought it was so cool that so many people were up and out and about doing something so substantial so late. Up to that point, I was still of the mindset that Santa Claus wouldn't come unless we got to bed. Now that I think about it, it's possible that I wasn't 11 or 12, the first time my mother brought us to Midnight Mass, because I have recollections of hoping that Santa might have already come and left presents while we were out at Mass. Things like that seem so silly now, but as a kid, thoughts like that were my whole world. I know that when I tell the story of my family's Christmas Eve celebration— it might sound like there wasn't a big emphasis on celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. The reality is that celebrating the birth of Jesus was just as big a part of our celebration as all the other parts. It was one of the few days of the year where we all insisted on saying grace before we ate, and some of the hymns that we sung at Mass around Christmas time were, and still are, some of my favorites. My grandparents 
who guided the entire celebration were very religious people. And I went to Catholic school my entire life. One of my best friends growing up actually went on to become a priest. He's been very successful in devoting his life to the church, and I still speak with him all the time. He's extremely well-educated, and every so often we talk about how my love of Christmas and Christmas Eve and all the aspects that my family included to make me so passionate about the holiday are really a great tribute to the power of celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. The togetherness that I felt in those huge family gatherings, the warm embrace of family, and the love that I felt so strongly and still feel so strongly, even though some of the participants, most of the most important players, are no longer alive. How could all those things not be directly connected to Christmas as a celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful that my family found a way to wrap the seriousness of their faith in with the magic and the wonder of the modernized traditions of Christmas and gifted them to me. It really was a gift. When I think of Christmas... I think of all of what I consider to be the greatest parts of life. Charity, kindness, love, and family. All things that I also connect directly with everything I ever learned about the life and birth of Jesus Christ. But whether it was after 5 o'clock Mass or before midnight mass, the moments that my family engineered that gave me a wonderfully memorable childhood and made me into the man I am today happened between the hours of 7 p.m. and 10 p.m. on December 24th in the 1980s. Santa Claus is coming on part two of the season finale of You Can't Cancel Christmas. <laughs>